Hi, and welcome to Macrina's Key, the podcast where we talk about theology for every single season of life. I'm your host, Sarah Evans. Every fortnight, we discuss systematic theology in bite-sized portions. And along the way, we're learning to see and know God in every season of life, whether we're in the spotlight, on the edge, or being faithful in the mundane. I'm so excited to have you with us. Let's get started. Hey everyone, um, last time we were together talking about special revelation, I went way over on my goal of how uh, I try to keep these episodes to a manageable length for you all, because it's so important for us to have a theology and doctrinal education that is accessible to us. And I recognize that one aspect of accessibility is time, right? We all are busy. We're doing a lot of different things in our days. And I just wanted to say that I recognize last time was a very long episode. And that is not my intent. And I am always striving to keep these shorter, in depth still, but um, a bit more manageable in terms of what you can commit to for a period of listening. So, with that being said, I'm hoping that this one, I'm not just hoping, I am confident that this one is going to be shorter. And I'm going to keep a better eye on the time and really work to squeeze in as much as I can into the next 25 to 30 minutes, um, but really strive to not go over that. So wanted to say, I appreciate you sticking around for that whole episode last time. And I am not going to put you through that um, again. Although perhaps I should say my students um, in grad school sit through three hour lectures. So 40 minutes maybe isn't that bad when you compare it to three hours with a couple of breaks interspersed in there. So Last time, as we were talking about special revelation or God's particular ways of revealing himself to particular people at specific times and places, we ended um, talking about the written word of God, right? So there's this um, idea that I put out about how there are three uses of the word in scripture. One is talking about the word uh, who is Christ. Christ is the word of God. Um, He is the word who was with God in the beginning and who was God in the beginning and is God himself who comes to dwell among us, right? According to John 1. There's also the word, which is scripture. So the written word. And then um, as the third aspect of that, there is uh, the gospel, which is also the word. Um, That's the specific word of redemption that Christ speaks over us and enacts and brings to reality for us on our behalf, you might say. So this uh, time, we're going to talk a little bit about how those things are related. I am going to explore the written word just a little bit further um, and then talk about how uh, the triadic relationship of the word uh, functions and is... um, kind of fleshed out. So last time we ended talking about um, having confidence in scripture, the reliability, uh, the veracity, and the truth of scripture. And that's kind of where we uh, left off. So 
I'm going to pick up on that and we're going to talk about the character of scripture. That's where we're going to start right now. So scripture is inspired. There are a variety of texts that speak about that. So when we talk about scripture being inspired, there are a lot of different ways that uh, people interpret this, right? Um, we have people who um, think of God sort of giving each individual word to the author of a particular text as they are writing it. We have people who kind of think of the Holy Spirit almost like a muse who's inspiring the general message uh, of scripture, but isn't overriding the personality or the culture or the you know, kind of authorial style of the author. Um, and then there are people who talk about inspiration in a manner that is a bit more um, oblique, you might say, that God kind of inspires the sort of general idea, the general message and principles that get put into scripture um, by the authors. But no matter where we land, on that spectrum. We can say that the character of scripture is that it's inspired. Its source is the power of the Holy Spirit. It comes from God, right? There is, again, that process of how it comes from God and what that looks like, um, whether or not it's dictation or something like inspiring, like a muse, but we still can say the fountainhead of that scripture is found in God and in God's power. Um, we also, when we talk about the inspiration of scripture, need to keep in mind the purpose of scripture, right? What is the goal of scripture? Well, it is intended to be truthful, to bring about a saving knowledge of ourselves and our need of God, who God is, what he has done for us and what he promises to do for us in the future. So that's the purpose of God utilizing inspiration, speaking through the authors, speaking through the words that we read in scripture. I think we should remember, um, it's important to keep in mind that no matter what our definition is of the inspiration or inerrancy or an infallibility of scripture, that we are referencing the original autographs. What I mean there is we're referencing the original texts that the authors of scripture wrote, right? So we're talking about not just Paul's letter to the Corinthians as it is in my NIV, NASB, ESV. When we talk about um, inerrancy or inspiration, we're talking about Paul's original letters to the Corinthians, right? And so we need to keep in mind that there is wiggle room in translations because language has um, a beautiful breadth to it, right? So the word um, adore in English has a certain connotation. It has um, a variety of ways that it could be translated into, say, Spanish or French or Russian or um, Swahili. And the word choices when we translate something pick up on something in the original language that we are coming from, and it also picks up on 
something in the language that we are translating to. And so those choices are complex at times. Um, Sometimes we have to give up one thing in order to emphasize another, right? And so we need to remember that our translations are not inerrant, no matter what translation we are using. That's not what is inerrant. What is inerrant is the original autographs um, where God inspired the writers of scripture. Regardless of where we fall on that spectrum, I think it's also important that we don't um, impose Western standards on the text. When I say Western, I'm thinking of like post-enlightenment, modernist conceptions of what it means um, to record history, right? So we might talk about was Israel in Egypt for 400 years or 403 years, right? Um, That's not really the point of scripture. I kind of talked about that last time. What is the goal of scripture? We need to keep that in mind as well. The point isn't um, whether or not scripture was in, whether or not Israel was in Egypt in um, the days of Moses, 400 years or 401 years. The point is that um, they were there for a number of generations and that Christ, uh, sorry, God worked through Moses to save them. Right. So that kind of Western expectation of perfect chronological exactitude um, is not the way that the authors of scripture were looking at it when they were writing it. And so it's really important to keep that in mind, I think. Um, That allows us to have a better and I think a richer understanding of scripture um, because we can recognize what the authors are driving at, really. What is their actual message, right? If we are obsessed with a chronological um, orientation of Christ's life, we're going to miss out on what Matthew's trying to tell us about Christ being the new Moses, right? We're going to miss out on what John is trying to tell us about Christ being the fulfillment of Israel's feasts and festivals. And so it's really important for us to um, try to enter into the text as the text is and as the spirit wanted the text to be rather than what we might want it to be in our day and age. There's also an important aspect of um, canonicity for the written word. Um, A canon, uh, I don't mean a canon with two ends that fires out a cannonball. Here I mean a canon with one end. And that was a carpenter's rule or a measuring rod. Um, And so canonicity refers to a couple of different things. It can uh, denote the books of scripture that were recognized by the early church as carrying God's authority. Um, And then those books, which were recognized for that, then function as a kind of measuring rod or the rule of faith, which were intended to guide the church in faithful, appropriate, ethical, righteous living before the face of God. That, um, that definition there that I just kind of gave you is a paraphrase of something that I heard from a professor in uh, seminary, um, uh, Don Payne. And I, I just want to give credit where credit is due. Um, my years in seminary were really well formed um, and informed by really incredible um, professors and educators. And I'm very grateful to them. And I never want to miss the chance to sing their praise and um, give them the credit that they deserve for how they helped me to learn how to articulate different things about the faith. 
So um, I'm not going to talk a whole lot about canonicity in the sense of how the um, canon, how the order of books, the selection of books came about, how it took place and that process in the early church. I think that that's an important thing for us to think about and be aware of, especially um given some of the debates around the veracity of scripture and why we have certain books included in the canon and certain books were rejected, I think that is a really important discussion. I just don't know that this is the appropriate locale for it. But if you want more information on that, feel free to send me an email and I will um, renege and I'll do an episode related to that. But here, um, I just want to point out that there was a consistent, um, reliable acceptance of the books that we now have in the Bible, and that then those books were utilized to, like, say, provide the kind of measuring rod, the plumb line, um, the rule of life, the rule of faith for the church. And so they should do that for us today, right? That's what it means to have um, authority uh, carried by Scripture, Okay, so that's um, a little bit of a wrap up on the word as the written word. Now we're going to talk about the relationship between the incarnate word and the written word, right? So the incarnate word being Christ and then the written word, how are they related? I used the word triadic or triangular last time to talk about that because there are three different aspects to how word can be used in scripture. So there's the idea of Christ, the word, there's the idea of scripture being the word of God. And then in a kind of bridge between the two, there's the idea of the gospel being the word that God proclaims over his people in the act and speaking of salvation. So Christ, the word is the focus and orientation of all the written word. All of scripture is either headed towards Christ, right? We might think of the old Testament as being aimed at Christ. And then the new Testament flows out from the life of Christ. This has been a consistent way of interpreting scripture since the early days of the church. Irenaeus is an early church father, and he really exemplifies how the early church read scripture in this kind of Christological manner. There's a really great book called Biblical Interpretation in the Early Church by Carlfred Froelich, and he uh, describes Irenaeus's reading of scripture in this way. He says, um, Christians possess the key in the coming of Christ, which unlocks the mysteries of God's oikonomia from beginning to end. The early Christian sense of the apocalyptic situation widens here into the vision of a universal biblical history. Christ came in the last times, but he came for the sake of all generations. Scriptures need a Christian key and needs to be handled by reliable interpreters. Okay, so what does he mean by that? Basically, let's start at the end of that. The scriptures need a Christian key. The key for understanding scripture is Christ. It needs to be handled carefully by reliable, educated interpreters, interpreters who have studied the word of God and through whom God speaks regularly. And as those people interpret scripture in light of Christ's work, 
they too, like Irenaeus and the rest of the church, will recognize that God's great economia, that means his economy, his acting, his working from beginning to end, finds its summation, finds its climax, its pinnacle in the work of Christ. And that Christ does an apocalyptic work in the sense that he pulls back, he tears the veil between God and humanity, uh, the veil that has been there because of sin that has separated us from God. Christ pulls back the veil in the sense of revealing who God is because he is God in the flesh. And then he pulls back and disrupts and is apocalyptic in the sense that he tears down the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile, right? There's this intense separation that Christ does away with uh, in, in reconciling us to one another and as much as he reconciles us to himself. And so that's what um, Froelich is getting at when he says the early Christian sense of the apocalyptic situation, which widens into a universal biblical history. This no longer is just about God's relationship with Israel. This is about God's relationship with the whole world. And it finds its climax and its summation in Christ. And so the Old Testament is always pointing towards Christ and the New Testament is always flowing from Christ. And the thing that holds those two aspects together is the gospel, the good news of Christ, that Christ came into the world to save sinners, that he came, he lived, he died, he was buried, and he rose again in accordance with the scriptures, right? In accordance with the prophecies of old, he came back to life and he renews, he enlivens, and he makes possible our intimate relationship with the father as being adopted into his sonship. Just think that it is so beautiful for us to look at scripture in this way, that the gospel, which is Christ's work, is the interpretive key for all of scripture. So all the Bible can be read through the lens of Christ and the gospel which he proclaims over us. That is the relationship between the three, between the triadic kind of use of the word. Okay, what does that mean for how we understand special revelation and our relationship with God? Well, the authority of God is represented in the authority of Christ, right? Christ claims to have the same authority of God. Um, He is overturning certain teachings in the gospels, and he is claiming to have this authority because of who he is. In today's day and age, that authority is mediated through scripture. So when we are reading scripture, we are submitting to the authority of scripture, which really is Christ's authority. We don't want to treat scripture as if it's a fourth member of the Trinity, right? We don't worship the Bible. We worship Christ. The Bible is what witnesses to who Christ is and what he has done for us. And so when we are submitting to scripture, ultimately we are submitting to Christ who speaks to us through scripture, right? So the written word kind of provides our intellectual, our cognitive, our imaginative access to the incarnate word. 
And that occurs through the Spirit's work as the Holy Spirit illuminates Scripture, makes Scripture um, intelligible to the believer and to uh, the church as a whole, and thus allows us to access Christ and to understand. We need to keep in mind that this is the choice of the Spirit. This is the work of the Spirit. It's not something which is controlled by us. We can, however, place ourselves in a right position to hear Him. We do that by reading scripture, by going to church and hearing the word faithfully proclaimed, by meeting with others and studying scripture with them, studying um, what the church has taught on different things in scripture. And so it's important for us to be engaging in order to prepare ourselves and to open ourselves up to the spirit's work in our lives that we might hear and know Christ more fully so that we can know his father and enter into relationship with him. Similarly, I said that scripture is not the only special revelation that God gives us. So there are aspects of special revelation like visions or words of prophecy, which um, we might experience in our lives, right? Uh, authoritative words, perhaps, from a fellow believer who's speaking into our life. Um, maybe we're in a process of discernment and we've invited others to discern alongside of us. And someone thinks they hear a word from the Lord. What does it mean to submit to that? We need to take that kind of experience and hold it up against scripture and say, does this align with who God has revealed himself to be in Christ and in the scriptures which testify to him? And if it seems to align, great. Then like engage that, go forth. If it doesn't align, then we need to do some more wrestling. Maybe we misheard. Maybe um, we misinterpreted what we heard. That's where uh, holding things up against scripture is really important. And that's also where the community is really important, right? We need to have older, more mature believers to whom we can take things, say, I had this strange experience that I think might have been a vision. What does that mean? We can take it to people who are further along in their uh, pilgrim walk with God, and they might have wisdom. Of course, I don't want to say it's um, only up to the old and the wise. Sometimes my children say the most remarkable things about God because they have fresh eyes for him, if that makes sense. They have um, a sort of newness to their faith. And so they sometimes speak in remarkable ways and see things that my familiarity had blinded me to. And so it's important for us to have the community to be sharpening one another, to be pointing each other on and helping one another interpret these different things together. Okay. What are some kind of questions or um, maybe issues as we're thinking through special revelation, especially as related to scripture? So I'm in the U.S. The U.S. Um, in terms of American evangelical Christianity has a kind of tangled up relationship with the Bible. And so I'm speaking from that kind of context. Sometimes we treat the Bible as being... Um, a sort of divine object in and of itself. That's wrong. Scripture's power is divine, not magical, and its divine power is only, 
only derivative because it is only divine power insofar as the Holy Spirit is utilizing it. And we really need to keep that in mind. The Bible's power is always in, uh, aimed at redemption. It's always angled towards our redemption, towards drawing us into relationship with God, because that is the work of the Spirit, is to draw us into that triune community. And so when we are reading scripture, when we hear it preached, when we ourselves are preaching it, we need to keep that vision in mind. Scripture is not intended to be browbeating or to be condemning because Christ is not browbeating or condemning. He is convicting, but he does not condemn, right? Paul is very clear about that in his letter to the Romans where he says, those who are in Christ, there's no condemnation. And we can see pretty clearly, I think, throughout the Gospels that Christ's disposition towards us is one of gentleness and humility and lowliness and meekness and mercy. It is not someone standing over us like a tyrant. And so we should not utilize scripture in a tyrannical fashion either. Scripture is redemptive in that its purpose shows us who God is, who we are and then teaches us how we might enter into relationship with him. We need to then read scripture in light of the overall scope and trajectory of the whole canon, the whole of scripture, right? So that's why we can read Leviticus and think through what does it mean for God to be working in the Levitical law in a redemptive manner? It's also really important for us to keep in mind that scripture does not always answer the questions we are asking. It does have answers for questions, but sometimes the questions we bring to the text are not the right questions. Sometimes our questions are too narrow. Sometimes they are to the side of what we should be asking. Sometimes uh, there's a broader, bigger issue that we haven't yet tapped into that will inform our small, narrow, culturally bound questions, but we need to engage with the broader vision of who God is as scripture reveals him. Um, and so it's important for us to, to even uh, be willing to submit our questions to the witness of scripture and to what scripture is doing in us. And then we should finally approach scripture, not merely, or perhaps even primarily for devotional insights and, uh, doctrinal assertions. Instead, we should be reading scripture in order to be brought into the fellowship of the triune God in order that our minds would be renewed, that our lives would be uh, reworked, transfigured into the image of Christ, that we might worship God according to who he is, who he says he is, and what he's done for us, not who we think he might be. That, um, that idea of treating scripture as something more, something deeper, something bigger, something vastly more radical than a devotional insight is also something that I learned um, from Dr. Don Payne um, in my years in seminary. And it was so, um, honestly, so convicting because it's easy for me to go to scripture to want to prove a point that I'm thinking, to sort of get like a devotional high um, when I'm feeling kind of low in my walk with God. 
And those things aren't necessarily wrong, but it's not the full picture, right? It's not the goal of scripture is not just to um, inform my doctrinal beliefs. The goal of scripture is to bring me into relationship with God and to renew my life and renew your life and to renew the whole church and to transfigure each of us and as a community, transfigure us into the image of God, into the image of Christ. All right, my friends, that is it for special revelation. If you've got any questions, definitely hop onto the website, macrinaskey.com, and there's a contact page on there, and I would love to hear from you. Finally, I just want to give you a little update as I'm headed into a season where I need to do some writing for the podcast and do some rethinking about some structure and what um, is best and what I'm offering to each of you. As I'm doing that, I would really love to hear from you. What is beneficial for you? What has been helpful for you in the podcast so far? What would you like to see? Are there topics you want to learn about? I have a Patreon page because I would love to be engaging with people a little bit more personally and intimately um, than is possible in a podcast. And so I would love to hear what would be useful for you. What would be beneficial, encouraging, uplifting for you um, to have in a Patreon community? Would it be good for us to do a book study? Would you like to read through a book of the Bible together or explore a particular doctrinal issue, right? So I would love to get some feedback on that because the goal of this podcast, it's not just for me to be a talking head and to hear my own voice, right? It's not um, for me to be making a name for myself. The goal of this podcast is to be making theological education available to those who might otherwise lack access, right? People who don't have time or money um, or space and margin to go to seminary to get a Bible degree in an undergrad setting. The laity should still be educated. We should still know who God is and what he has done for us. And so that is the goal of this podcast is to make theological inquiry available to you wherever you are. And as a part of that, I want to make sure that the podcast and the things around the podcast, like the website and Patreon account are actually functional and helpful for your life and for your walk with God. So you might know him more fully, engage with him more richly and continue to grow in your walk and being an image bearer of Christ. So I would love to hear from you. Again, the website is macrinaskey.com. And it'd be great to hear from a lot of you so that I could kind of compile some answers and start um, getting into some of that in the new year as I'm hoping to revamp a little bit. So I'll be taking a brief break. I'll pop in for Advent because it's one of my favorite church seasons, but I will be taking some time off and then I'll be getting back into um, a rhythm, hopefully with some new things that are good for all of you. Thanks so much for joining me. Would love if you would leave a review on your favorite um, podcasting listening platform. That would be excellent to continue getting the word out about this. Thanks friends. I hope you have a great rest of your month. I'm 
so glad you joined me for this episode of Macrina's Key. If you like what you heard, please leave a review. It really helps others find the podcast. And that's the goal here at Macrina's Key, to share the gospel and make theological education available for the benefit of the church in every season. If you want to get in touch, head on over to the website, macrinaskey.com. You can also check out the Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash macrinaskey. There you'll find exclusive episodes and materials for members. I love hearing from listeners, so please sing out and get in touch. Until next time, God's grace and peace to you.